Beautiful. Man, we just love having a good old gas bag around here at this church. <laughs> it's fantastic. Love it. We'll do more afterwards. Grab a cuppa at the end of the service and uh, keep gas bagging. It's awesome. So we've got our kids in with us today. Uh, parents, we have some kids uh, activity packs just out in the, on the landing there, just outside the doors if you want to use those. And, uh, and, oh, but I'm going I'm, I'm to sort of set you a challenge when I start my word today and see if you can meet it. And I'm pretty sure Elijah, he, he will have a chup-a-chup for you. Get out. Who bought chocolates? Bruce. Really? Oh my, you're sharing your chocolates? No, I, I didn't think so. Bruce doesn't share his chocolates. <laughs> Apparently, chocolates have been confiscated to be used for the kids. <laughs> I'm sure you'll cope, Bruce, then. I'm sure you will. <laughs> So uh, yeah, anyway, I'll set, that, I'll set that challenge for you momentarily. Uh, so welcome to church. If you're new here, it's great to have you uh, as a part of our church family, just worshipping the Lord today. Uh, a few, just a couple of things to let you know about. Um, obviously, because kids are in, our parents' room is just upstairs if you need to uh, use that facility and uh, you'll be able to hear the message up there. Um, uh, also, uh, what do you think of our new doors downstairs? Pretty fancy. So we're starting to see some renovations. Oh, like it's slow, I know, but hopefully it'll start speeding up. And uh, yeah, how good will it be to finally get access to this whole, to the whole building again? Uh, of course, um, you know, part of the flood story for us is also the flood story of our community. And uh, just over the back of us um, in South Windsor there, uh, in, what, in what the locals call Dodge City, but we prefer to call Hope City, um, they, they were quite affected by, by the floods and, and uh, we were there on the ground while the floods were still happening and there was no power and took a, took a, um, a barista out there to make uh, cups of tea and coffee and a whole bunch of the church had been up till, you know, 1am baking just to go and love on the community and say, hey, you know, we're here for you. You're not forgotten while you're trying to deal with this again. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, we just felt like we wanted to take that another step further. And so we're actually going to run a, a bit of a festival uh, just to bring back some hope and life uh, right there, smack bang in the middle of that community in, the, in Gosper Park. We have these little flyers just on the landing as you're leaving today. Why don't you grab one of those, grab a few, pop them in letterboxes if you live in the area and encourage people to get out. We're just going to go and have some fun with the community and honestly they taught me so much in the hours that we stood there in the rain uh, you know <laughs> um, giving out our brownies and our uh, cupcakes and and all of that they taught me so much about resilience they're just amazing and so we just want to go and love on them have some fun with them have some laughs with them have a, have a great festival and and that's going to be happening during our normal church time so we're actually no church service happening here uh, no live stream either. Sorry, guys. Come join us. <laughs> and uh, we'll, so we'll be at the park for that morning. So that's on the 25th. So if you come here, you'll be alone in the car park. Okay. <laughs> Just to let you know about that. That's awesome. Okay. Um, Brad, can I get you to... Oh, no. Walkie, you got it? Pulpit? Yes, please. Can I have the pulpit? Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you, Musos. Thank you for a beautiful time of praise and worship. Thank you, sweetheart. Oh made that hard for you, didn't I? Thank you, darling. Okay, right. 
we're going to get cracking, get cracking into the word. Helps if you turn your book the right way around. That could have been an interesting sermon. Pastor Rick is on sabbatical and uh, he's left me in charge. Anyone nervous? Bruce is a bit worried. <laughs> no, he's not worried. <laughs> um, he's actually up at mountains visiting today. He's going to use his sabbatical to, uh, to do some visiting. And, um, and so that's going to be great. He's had his first few days of sabbatical and he's already busier than he was when he was not on sabbatical. <laughs> I don't know what just happened. Uh, so, but I get to bring the word today. And uh, oh gosh, I've, I'm so excited about bringing this. I just really feel that God has something to say to us. And, uh, and I, I just hope you'll lean in today and, and really allow the Lord to speak to you. But I just want to start with a scripture in First Chronicles chapter 12. And it says this, and you, you may be familiar with this scripture. It says, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Fascinating scripture about the sons of Issachar. Anyone heard of the sons of Issachar before? Give me a wave. There's about three people, four, four okay. A few, few of you have heard of these guys. They understood the signs of the times. They understood what they were looking at. And I know for me, I've spent so much of the last two and a half years through, you know, COVID, pandemic, lockdown, dramas, mandates, whatever, Asking myself the question, God, what are we looking at? What is happening on the earth? What are you doing on the earth? What do you need the church to be doing right now? What do you need me to be doing right now? And this has just been my cry to God about wanting to understand what I'm, what I'm looking at. And of course, you know, I've, I've spoken before about, uh, you know, end times and and what we might think as Christians, what we, what we believe as, as Christians about, about looking for the signs of the, of the end times. I, I personally feel like we're in them. I could be wrong. Um, but we're in our end times anyway, right? We've got one life to live. This is it. So I suppose it really, you know, stands that we should live like this is the only life we've got. Because it is the only life we've got. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, I don't even have to think of it as the end times to realise there's cert certainly some urgency about the years that I am living on the, on the planet. But I think we, we do appreciate, don't we, that we are living in quite significant times. The loss of our Queen this week. Wow. There would be some of us that remember a sovereign before the queen yes yes <laughs> but not many anyone else <laughs> I see that hand <laughs> there's only a few of us that would uh, have any notion of life without the queen uh, not that you feel that necessarily that she's she makes any effect on your every day but she's necessary she is uh, regardless our our queen and she was until this week now king charles long live the king uh, and so it goes on. But these are significant times, really significant times. And I, I want us as a church to understand the times that we're living in and understand what God is asking of us. Amen? Okay. 
And it's not just the loss of the Queen that kind of stirs our imagination about the times that we're living in. I think when we we look at, uh, you know, what's happening in in Ukraine and the the war there and the tensions that are happening with China and Taiwan and and what's happening with the economies and, you know, inflation and interest rates and what's happening with morality and the nuclear family and a lot of confusion around gender, a lot of debate, a lot of division around race, you know, just lots of things that are just um, feeling, feeling very tumultuous, very chaotic on the earth and we're living in these days. And we do have to pause and say, what are we looking at? What, what are we looking at? So I want to be like the sons of Issachar. So I've got, I'm going to drop some, drop some interesting information on you today. And, uh, and I, I hope you find it interesting because I found it fascinating. So in 5,000 years of recorded history, right now, what we are living through has only happened 26 times before probably thinking, Naomi, what are you talking about? <laughs> so throughout history, we've always had certain world powers. Uh, and we've either had a multipolar uh, power base in the world where there's three or more uh, centres of power in the world. And usually, historically, when that happens, it's very tumultuous, very chaotic. There's a lot of competition, uh, you know, for resources, for wealth, for power. There's a lot of, you know, wars, a lot of um, contention, uh, a lot of chaos uh, in the world. So it's not, it's not what we like to see when we have multi-powers, uh, multipolar powers uh, in the world. And so a, a step up from that is when we have two powers or a bipolar power base in the world, two significant uh, bases of power in the world. It's better than the multi. It's still not great. There's still competition. There's tension. Uh, You know, there's still conflict. There's still war. You know, probably the most recent one you can remember, uh, of course, is the Cold War between the Soviet Union and uh, the United States, two two bases of power, and uh, and it was it was very tense period on on our earth. And then, of course, you have a uni power, a single superpower uh, that rules over the earth. It controls, uh, you know, most of the things that are happening on earth. And this might surprise you to know that usually when there's a superpower, uh, uh, you know, in charge of the world, it's actually a time of peace. It's actually a more peaceful time. And I suppose it stands to reason that when you're not given uh, your, your men and your resources, your people to fighting wars and fighting battles and competing, it stands to reason that they've got time to do some other things that are significant, like building infrastructure, hospitals, um, schools. Uh, you know, there's, there's time for um, artists to, you know, do, make their, their beauty, uh, you know, appear on the earth and, and for philosophers to, uh, you know, uh, expand knowledge and, uh, you know, for education and, and uh, um, skills, you know, innovation to all happen. There's room for that to breathe when there's a superpower, when there's a uni power on the earth. And, of course, for the last... 30-odd years, more, uh, I can't give you a specific date, but we recognise that the United States has been a superpower, right? It's been the superpower. It's kind of been the world's policeman. And uh, like it or not, 
Um, it's, it's been the most, uh, the, you know, the, the, the best kind of representation of, uh, of a form of government, um, you know, a, a liberal democracy uh, to, to uh, be that policeman on, on the earth. And so we've had a relative time of peace. And so we've had an incredible expansion, haven't we, of knowledge and of, um, you know, innovation, technology, uh, education, just incredible. The arts, um, it's, it's been incredible. Interestingly, when there is a uni power in charge, the church flourishes. The church actually does very well. Throughout history, whenever there's been a, a uni power and that's been a time of peace, the church has really been able to expand. The harvest field has been incredible. And we've done actually very well as a church, um, as, as the church. And so I want to give you some good news today. I'm going to start with some good news. You know what happens after the good news, don't you? Let's do the good news first, okay? It'll help the bad news go down a little better. (laughs) Spoonful of sugar. No. So here's the good news. The church has actually had a really good run. So we've got some figures to show you up there. In 1970, there were 1.2 billion Christians recorded on the earth. But in 2020, there were 2.6 billion Christians recorded. Do you, you realise that more people have come to Christ in that time period than have since Jesus Christ? Phenomenal. We have had unprecedented harvest years during this time of a uni power of America being the superpower on, on the earth. In 1990, 52% of the world's population was in extreme poverty. In 2017, 16% were in extreme poverty. In 2022, 9.2% were in extreme poverty. This will interest you greatly. 100% of the decline is within countries that are newly Christianized. 90% of the countries with extreme poverty have no churches, no Bible, no gospel presence. I want you to know that the gospel changes lives. The presence of the church in a community changes that community. And this is what's been happening. So, you know, uh, a bunch of uh, church leaders and missionaries got together to be really strategic about the areas on the earth that that had not yet uh, really seen anything significant, any sort of harvest for for, uh, Christianity. And, of course, the Islamic world was uh, such a huge part of that. 1,200 years of, of the Islamic world being very closed off uh, to to the church, to, to Christianity. And so, at, you know, they strategically gathered and, and they realised that there was no church planting movements happening in the Islamic world. But in the last 22 years, we have gone from no church planting movements to over 69 church movements, church planting movements in the Islamic world. And I can tell you now, they are having an incredible harvest, an incredible harvest. And not, not just that, what, what blows me away is the stories that are coming out of the Islamic world of people having direct visions of Jesus, visitations of Jesus and of angels who are talking about Jesus, telling them about Jesus. So Jesus is even helping the church get the job done. <laughs> Isn't that good? It's amazing. It's phenomenal. So we've been, doing, we've been doing pretty good. The church has been thriving during this period. In fact, in the in the 193 recognised sovereign countries in the world, 176 are experiencing church growth. 
In fact, the vast majority of those, those countries are experiencing Christian conversion greater than the birth rate. I'll give you an example. In Thailand, for every 100 babies being born, 103 people are coming to Christ. Incredible. 12 of those countries are in stasis. They're kind of just holding their own. They're not growing. They're not declining, 12 of them. Interestingly, America is one of those 12. Five are in decline. This is where we do the bad news. Okay. So what's happening today when I said uh, has only happened 26 times before in 5,000 years of recorded history. So we're now watching the 27th time that a superpower is on the brink of collapse. America as a superpower is collapsing in front of our very eyes. And of course, whenever we transition from a superpower to a multipolar power world, there is always war. We, have, we are staring down the barrel of some very significant times on the earth. So Russia and China declared in February of this year that they wanted to see themselves and America in a multi-power, multi-po- multipolar power base on the earth. They want to be one of three. Historically, this doesn't look good for the earth. And of course, we know that the whole business with Ukraine is just the first shot across the bow. And they're waiting to see how that one goes. Uh, so the world order that has allowed, to, uh, allowed the church to flourish and for the harvest to be so incredible is on the brink of collapse. Significant days. Interestingly, a superpower is never taken over from the outside. It always, historically, has always crumbled from within. And that's exactly what we're watching happen to America right now. Now, you might not be aware of these things. As I've said to you before, I am a news nerd. I, am, I watch hours of news from all around the world. So I'm very aware of these things. This might be new information for you. But nevertheless, it, it is the truth. Uh, a few years ago, Judah, our son, he, uh, his back, uh, adult molars, had, had been sort of coming up. And one of them just came up on this weird angle. Like it just decided to come in sideways. Anyone else had that experience? Anyone feeling the ache in the gums right now? Yeah, there's a few of you who know exactly what this feels like. And, uh, and so it was, it, was, it was weird. It was coming in sideways and it was pushing on all the teeth. And, and the, you know, we're, we're looking at it thinking, oh, this can't be good. And sure enough, he ends up with this toothache. And I'm looking at his mouth and I'm thinking, that tooth looks great. I mean, his dental care was pretty good. He was a great brusher and a flosser and all of those things. But here's this, this tooth was coming in and it was causing a lot of pain. Sure enough, took him to the dentist. They did some x-rays. And this tooth had been eaten out from the inside because of the angle. Some food had gotten stuck in underneath and it had just rotten the whole thing. On the outside, it looked fantastic. But on the inside, it was completely rotten. And in fact, when they went to remove it, it it came out in pieces because it was so rotten. Uh, Fortunately, he was under quite a lot of sedation, so he did just fine. (laughs) So did mum. (laughs) Thanks for asking. Uh, So (laughs) this this is a a great analogy, I think, for what is is happening in a lot of Western countries today, this, this rotting from the inside. Proverbs 14 tells us, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. 
So while America and while the West has stood for Judeo-Christian values, uh, we've flourished. While it championed the family and morality, it's flourished. But it's being eaten out, literally eaten out from the inside because of our rejection of God, rejection of the things of God, our embracing unabashedly of sin. And we are, we are watching we are watching that collapse happen. Proverbs 29, 2 says, When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Well, we've had a pretty good run in terms of history. We've enjoyed plenty. We've enjoyed peace for quite a few decades. And when the righteous thrive, when the church thrives, when families thrive, the people of our cities and our nation can rejoice. But when we forget God, the wickedness rules our families collapse and the people groan we are groaning we are groaning in our nation and they are groaning in america but let's just talk about us let's get let's just get really real okay this is still the bad news banner we're doing okay it's the good news worn off yet <laughs> i'm gonna get really real about our situation in australia let's get personal some census results, the latest census, tell a sobering story. Australian churches are in decline. Let's have a look at some statistics. So in the Pentecostal church, which is we're a Pentecostal church, it just means we believe in the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit outpouring, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, plus all the other good stuff about Jesus, okay? <laughs> That's us. In 1976 to 1981, Pentecostal churches experienced explosive growth, 88% growth. It was incredible. And I remember those days only too well. Uh, every week at church, we're putting out more chairs. It was unbelievable. Between 1981 and 1991, Pentecostal churches doubled. And then in 91 to 2001, the Pentecostal churches increased by 30%. In 2001 to 2011, it increased by 22%. In 2016 to 2021, we declined by 2%. Let's zoom in on that right now and look at the age groups. So between the age of 15 to 34 in this last, that last five-year census period, there was a decline of 13%. We're losing our young people. Between 30, 35 to 54 years of age, a 1% decline. Between 75 and 84, there's a 40% increase. The baby boomers are coming back to Jesus. My dad has always felt very passionate about that. He's like, we all got Sunday school. We're facing the end of our life. We're, uh, we're starting to get serious again about our, about our faith. And he believes there's a real harvest to be had in the baby boomers. So go for it, guys. Go for it. <laughs> Only half of children raised in Pentecostal churches have remained in the church as adults. 25% of these kids have no faith or church at all. And the other 25% are attending other denominations. In New South Wales, Pentecostal Christians make up 0.9% of the population. We're not even 1%. We have to sober up to the reality that the church has failed in Australia. Our families have failed. Our leaders have failed. We've failed. That's the bad news. But we can turn things around. Australia, one of 
only five countries on the decline. We can turn this around. Or maybe Jesus will return any moment. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe he's giving us a little time to turn things around. Either way, I don't know about you, but this information tells me we need to make some different choices. So I want to read a scripture, some scriptures from 2 Peter chapter 3. And, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna, I've got three points. I know, astonishing, three points. I know you're always so surprised when I only have three points. Um, but I'm saying that because I want the kids to write down those three points because then you might just score some chocolate from Elijah, okay? So get ready for the three points, but we're going to start with 2 Peter chapter 3. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? What a question. What a question that Peter poses. And for 2,000 years, the church has had to ask themselves, all right, What kind of people ought we be? We know Jesus has promised he will return. We know there's a plan, you know, for for that. But there's also a plan for the church to behave a certain way on the earth, to to do the work of Jesus in his absence. So so what kind of people ought we be in in this place where we are right now? So I want to suggest three things, and they're just in the following verses. So verse 11 continues on after it says, What kind of people ought you to be? It says, You ought to live holy and godly lives. The first point is just live holy. Live holy. What does that mean? Does that mean we sort of all walk around in priestly robes, constantly reading the Bible, meditating, No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that we live like we've been set apart by an almighty God at an almighty cost to heaven. We actually live a life worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. We want to live holy lives. Verse 14 in that same passage says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, this is not the part of the message where I point a really long wagging finger and start listing off the sins you shouldn't be committing because all of that is just legalism in the letter of the law. No, God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we would know when we're just not hitting the mark. That's what sin means, that we are missing the mark. And the Spirit within us can tell us when we're not missing the mark. And I love how it says in verse 14 that we are to be found at peace with him. That's a big indicator, isn't it? When we know we're not at peace with Jesus, we know something's off. We're not hitting the mark. Something within us is off. And we're just going to align that again. We're going to say, right, this, this stuff that I'm messing with here, it's just making me feel completely at war in my soul. I have no peace with Jesus. I'm turning my back on it. This is what repentance means. I'm walking this way. Repent just means I'm walk the other way. I'm walking away from that. That stuff is not bringing me peace with Jesus. I've got to walk away from it. That's what means 
living holy really means. That we're constantly looking for the path that Jesus has set in front of us, not wandering off on our own, not wandering off into the thickets, but we're walking that path that Jesus has. If you're wrestling today, I want to encourage us all to be living at peace with our Saviour. Can we look him in the eye and say, I'm doing my level best. I'm doing my honest best to live worthy of the sacrifice that you made for me, Jesus. Because I know you saw my face as those nails were driven into your hands and your feet. You saw me. You saw my future when you were doing that. You did that for me. And I want to live worthy to that. That's what it means to live holy. We're going to follow God and not culture. Okay? You know, Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew, because of the multiplication of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. It'll grow cold. The love of most will grow cold because of the the multiplication of wickedness. That's the culture that we're living in today. And many, many Christians, I'm sad to say, their love has grown cold. Their love for God, their love for the things of God, their love for the lost, it's growing cold. They don't care anymore. I don't want us as a church to be like that. I want us to be the sons of Issachar that say, we recognise the time we're living in. We recognise what's going on and we're going to make a stand and be the church that God needs us to be in the hour that we're living on the earth. So we've got to reject the culture. We've got to stop trying to be popular or liked. The last time I preached, I told you, you're all supposed to be hated. Didn't you love that message? You're supposed to be hated. Jesus said so. So stop trying to be liked. We're living to honour a holy God and we want to live a holy life, loving God, loving one another, loving the lost. Let's do that. The second thing, the second thing is in verse 12 and it says, it says this. So, so what kind of people ought you to be? It says to look forward to the day of God, to look forward to it. We're supposed to look forward to it. Sometimes, you know, you, you hear someone talk about end times and maybe Jesus is returning. You think, oh, no, not yet. We all have our reasons. Maybe we're, maybe we just, it's a little bit too unknown and we're, we're a bit concerned. We, we like what's known. I don't know how anyone can like what we know about this world, but anyway, that's okay. <laughs> there are some joys to be found in it. Um, but we're actually meant to be looking forward to the return of Jesus. And if you're not looking forward to it, you may have missed the point of it that Jesus is coming back for you because he loves you. And this separation that we have from him was only meant to be temporal. He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. You know, I'm coming back to deliver you to that place. He's got plans for us. You know, how many of you have ever been involved in organising a wedding? A few nods. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, There's a lot of to do about a wedding. It's pretty fantastic. I, I watched Jen and Minset's wedding. That was fantastic. You had like seven costume changes. It was brilliant. It went all day. Like, man, Cambodians know how to do weddings. Woo, it was fantastic. 
But weddings are huge. They're big events. There's something we look forward to. We're investing. We're organising. We're being strategic. We're planning. You know, we, we, we put a lot, a lot of resource into it and we, and we look forward to that day. And we're all, you know, uh, can't wait to gather and have that, that moment where we see this couple, uh, you know, say their vows and we can celebrate with them. Well, that's exactly what is going to happen when Jesus returns for us. We're his bride. It's going to be incredible celebration. So we're meant to look forward to the day. What kind of people ought we, ought we to be? We shouldn't be, you know, we, able to contain the joy that we feel about the fact that Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back for us. Let's be those people, not dreading it, but let's be those that look forward to it. And number three, really fascinating. In verse 12 it says, and what kind of people ought we be to be? To speed its coming. Speed its coming. What? If I read that correctly, it seems to indicate that we have some power over speeding up the return of Jesus. Apparently we do. You know, in the, in the scriptures just before, it says there in, in verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I, I honestly believe God's just holding out for that next one. You know, I get that picture of Jesus ready to return at the right hand of the Father saying, Is it go time yet, Dad? Is it go time? Are we going? Is this it? Are we going? And, and, the father's like, oh, maybe. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That one, that one's about to come. No, no. You'll oh, have to wait, son. I'm waiting for that one. So we, we ought to be the people that can speed it up. How do we do that? Ephesians 5.16 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We're living in evil days, but there's an opportunity. We're actually living in a time of opportunity. I've told you some bad news today. Australia is in terrible decline. One of only five countries in decline. That's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to win people to Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus, to share the gospel, to get a bit bold, to get a bit bold. I'm so excited to hear that, um, you know, that there are, uh, are groups, Christian groups all over the world who are really seeking to hasten the day. They're doing their level best to hasten the day. They don't want to see anyone perish either. They know that they have the ability to speed the coming. And I was just listening to an interview, a podcast about a, a group of people who have come together and they've recognised that there are about 7,000 language groups on the planet. 3,641 don't have a Bible in their language. And so they've come together. It's called Illuminations.Bible, a group of organisations. And they believe that they can get a Bible in every, every one of those 7,000 translations by 2033. <laughs> Good for them. They're playing their part to speed up the, speed up the coming of Jesus. So what are we doing? Who is God waiting for? Is it your neighbour? Is it your workmate? A family member? 
Is it you? Is He waiting for you? You know, those who understand history well think we've only got about three years left, maybe, before the world changes irrevocably. That might be a good time for Jesus to return. But what are we going to do in the next three years? How are we going to live? How are we going to live? Verse 12 in that passage says, That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We're living in significant days. We're going to hand out some communion now. Thanks, guys, if you'd like to hand out the communion. I felt a great weight with some of this information. Anyone else feel it too? Do we love our nation? Do we love Australia? Because it's very, very lost. It's very, very lost. And we make up less than 1% of our population. What difference can we make? Well, I guess it would be a tough time if it weren't for the fact that we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as our God, who does not have any desire to see any Australian perish. Not a single one. So what are we going to do? I really felt this morning that I want to repent on behalf of our nation. I want to repent on behalf of the church. I want to repent on behalf, behalf of church leaders. That on our watch, Christianity is in decline in our nation. Wow. How embarrassing. When I stand before the king, what am I going to say? This is our watch, people. If you want to repent on behalf of this nation with me, we're going to come down here on our hands and knees at the altar and we're going to take a minute to seek the Lord. I'm going to ask you guys to just play quietly behind us. We're going to take our communion, bring your communion down or at your seat. We're going to take a minute to take communion and repent on behalf of our nation.
they're not representing you, spreading the gospel the way it should be. Forgive us, Lord, for not living true to what you've called us to, to make disciples of all nations. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, we ask you to pour your spirit out on this great Southland of the Holy Spirit once again. Pour it out, Lord God. Pour it out on our children, our children's children. Pour it out on the generations, God, that they could not turn their back on you. Bring home the baby boomers that once knew. They once knew you. Bring them home. Bring every generation, Lord, so many that have fallen away, Lord God. Bring them home. Lord, we pray that they'd understand the urgency of the hour, the significance of the hour, Lord God, and that they'd come home. And Lord, we just pray, God, for the lost, those that have no idea of what you have done for them, that you love them, that you're calling them home. You're literally waiting. You're holding, you're holding back because you have no desire for even one to perish. Oh, today, God, today, God, we draw a line in the sand and we say on our watch, we wanna, we're going to see Christianity explode. Lord God, help us to live holy lives representing you, God. Oh, Lord, help us to be full of joy at the thought of your return. But God, help us to be busy. Help us to get busy in this hour that we live on the planet. God, help your church to rise in this nation, that the message would spread, Lord God, that it would cut across, you know, the the noisy narratives of our society and it will come home in people's hearts as they realise that they are completely lost without you. They're in darkness. And God, we have the light. You are that light. You are that light. We just pledge ourselves as your church right now to make a difference, to speed your coming to speed your coming, Lord. That's who we want to be as your church. And we pledge that this morning. We're going to live different from today. We're going to live different. We're going to live different. Evie, do you want to lead us in that song? And as we sing this song, we're going to speak in the name of Jesus over our nation, over our families, over the lost. As Evie leads us, let's, let's sing along and let's have that in our mind as we sing.